The Lord be with you. And also with you. Bless the Lord who forgives all our sins. God's mercy endures forever. Where the dawn of the east meets the twilight of the west and the cool of the north touches the calm of the south and the transcendent power of God touches earth in the humility of Christ. Here and now where the head of the Charles reaches out to the heart of the country, we gather for ordered worship. The liturgy, music, and homily are offered for our congregation here in Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership around the globe at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful and material support, your written and emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of ministry in our midst, and as the Spirit moves, come Sunday, your presence with us in worship. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
Let us pray. O God, whose glory is always to have mercy, be gracious to all who have gone astray from your ways and bring them again with penitent hearts and steadfast faith to embrace and hold fast the unchangeable truth of your word, Jesus Christ, your Son, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Let us pray. An assurance of pardon. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. And now a reading from St. Paul's second epistle to the Corinthians. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads in every place the fragrance that comes from knowing him. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not peddlers of God's word like so many, but in Christ we speak as persons of sincerity, as persons sent from God and standing in God's presence. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Surely we do not need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you, do we? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts to be known and read by all, and you show that you are a letter of Christ, prepared by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are competent of ourselves to claim anything as coming from us. Our competence is from God, who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of letter, but of spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Please join me in reading Psalm, verses from Psalm 121 with the Antiphon. to the hills from whence does my help come my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth the Lord will not let your foot be moved the Lord who keeps you will not slumber behold the one who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep the Lord is your keeper the Lord is your shade on your right hand the Sun shall not smite you by day nor the moon by night the Lord will keep you from all evil and will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Now please rise as you are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri, the reading of the Gospel, and the singing of our hymn. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. John, chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Glory to you, O Lord. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after grown, having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, 
How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the Spirit in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. Do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on your hearts to be known and read by all. In July of 2003, my dear best friend and family doctor drove us to a nearby book sale an annual event in a converted barn along a country road nearby to nothing. We go every summer. He is an historian by temperament and some significant private reading, largely English history of the 17th century. We browsed among the mildewed racks of lost tomes, lost to their original readers, and lost on a generation growing impatient to reading. For 25 cents, one could buy the 1,200 pages of Marcel Proust's The Remembrance of Things Past, Volume 1. And so, for 11 years now, 2014, and into the second volume, about page 230, this strange, difficult work has provided me some occasional early morning company. You can see that the progress has been slow. 
Some months go by without a page being read. In fact, after some real difficulty with sentences a page long, a whole year went by. But on page 233 of volume two, Proust pauses mid-remembrance to remark that with the onset of real adulthood, with the arrival of the experience of genuine freedom, with the sudden realization that one's own life is in one's own hands, an experience not unknown in college life, there comes melancholy. Melancholy for students, for parents, for retirees, for all. Melancholy comes in part from a full feeling, full thought of freedom, of the responsibility, the unique and unrecoverable responsibility of life, of living one's own life. Melancholy is a whole lot more than homesickness. We sometimes presume that young adult ennui comes from homesickness. Not so, at least not all of it. The real root is spiritual melancholy. Though we respect Frederick Beekner's astute meditation years ago on the resemblance of homesickness to faith, a real rehabilitation for homesickness if ever there was one, what gives one pause in coming of age at whatever age and stage is more. It is this Proust's melancholy. Proust's own voice this morning is carried on that of Marsh associate Robert Lucchese. But by these very words, which left it to myself to decide my own happiness, my mother had plunged me in that state of doubt in which I had been plunged long ago when my father, having allowed me to go to Phaedra and, what was more, to take to writing, I had suddenly felt myself burdened with too great a responsibility, the fear of distressing him and the melancholy which we feel when we cease to obey orders, which, from one day to another, keep the future hidden and realize that we have at last begun to live in earnest as a grown-up person, the life, the only life that any of us has at his disposal. Dear friend, your melancholy has good in it. Your avoidance of others, reluctance to engage, willingness to self-medicate, endless sleeping, absence from worship, repetition of the verbal sign of the age, whatever, your melancholy comes in part from a deep, perhaps pre-conscious awareness of life, of freedom, of responsibility, of the chance and necessity and dangerous challenge of really living. Take heart if you are down, down is the marrow of up. At least that is what Nicodemus found. Melancholy kept Nicodemus up at night too, and one night he found or was found by spirit. This Lent, we engage as our conversation partner in preaching the great Geneva Protestant reformer John Calvin, 1509-1564. We have found it helpful in this season to link our preaching here at Marsh Chapel, an historically Methodist pulpit, with voices from the related but distinct Reformed tradition, which has been so important over 400 years in New England. The Methodist tradition has emphasized human freedom, the Reformed divine freedom, in Lent each year, we have brought the two into some interaction, both harmonious and dissonant. It is fitting to hear of Nicodemus at night this morning as we consider Calvin this Lent. With Calvin, we encounter the chief resource for others we have engaged other years. Voices like those of Robinson, 2013, Elul, 2012, Bonhoeffer, a Lutheran cousin, 2011, and themes like Atonement, 2009, and Decision, 2008. Calvin's own voice this morning is carried on that of Marsh associate Robert Lucchese. Christ means that the movement and operation of God's spirit is no less perceptible in the renewal of the human being than the movement of the air in this earthly and outward life. But its mode is hidden. And we, therefore, are ungrateful and miserly if we do not adore the incomprehensible power of God in the heavenly life, of which God shows us so outstanding an example in this world, 
And if we ascribe to him less in restoring the salvation of our souls than in preserving the estate of our bodies, such is the power and efficacy of the Holy Spirit in the renewed person. Likewise, John Calvin emphasizes rightly in 2 Corinthians, Paul's own stress upon the fragrance or the scent of the gospel. Of course, Calvin means this both happily for the graced and sadly for the reprobate, both of whom are known in response to the preaching of the good news. His ease in naming the reprobate is hard for us, I expect, and makes sense only and only in part underneath his overarching celebration of the glory of God, the mystery of God, the majesty of God, the creative power of God, God's glory, known in all things ordained by God, both gain and loss, found and lost, he wrote. The power of the gospel is so great that it either quickens or kills, not only by its taste, but by its very fragrance. Calvin carefully follows Paul's thought. Continuing with the same metaphor, he says that the epistle was written by Christ because the faith of the Corinthians was his work. He says that it was ministered by himself, likening himself, as it were, to the ink and the pen. In other words, he makes Christ the author and himself the instrument. And later, for by the letter, he means an external preaching which does not reach the heart, and by the Spirit, life-giving teaching, which is through the grace of the Spirit, given effective operation in our souls. You yourselves are my letter of recommendation. Such a marvelous, supreme, beautiful commendation to you here at Marsh Chapel, to you listening by radio signals, to you, the community of Christ, near and far, old and young, visible and virtual. You are that letter of recommendation. So the Apostle Paul addresses his beloved Corinthians and replies to those who seek a more formal epistle of reference, you are the recommendation. Letters of recommendation, their solicitation, composition, delivery, reception, and perusal litter the academic landscape. Graciously to request one is a delicate art. Honestly to compose one is a delicate art. Critically to assess one is a delicate art. Over many years, having benefited from the kindness of others who wrote them, I now as a writer much more fully appreciate the effort therein invested and then there long before cyber files, e-files, and electronic mail, each letter written, typed, enveloped, stamped, and sent over a kindly personal signature. Letters of recommendation. A pause, may those this week composing such receive a personal blessing for a quiet labor, a thankless gift, a generous portion. We may wonder about recommendation. What do you and I commend by our living? What does our living, our mode of thinking, our manner of working, our habit of being, what does our living speechlessly recommend? Ben Franklin, none preaches better than the ant, and he says nothing. That is, what happy shadow, what felicitous echo, what alluring existential fragrance do you cast about yourself as you sally forth on the trail of life. So that heads turn. Are you? How are you? A spiritual head turner. We may wonder about recommendation. Let us head off one misapprehension. The gospel probes what you recommend, not just what you represent. You represent this or that. Good, well and good. But do you truly recommend what you represent? Recommendation is spirit. Representation is flesh, a distinction the apostle most strongly asserts in Galatians 3 and again here in 2 Corinthians 3, 1 and following. Here in Corinthians, Paul says, you are my letter of recommendation, not merely of reference. So does your life sparkle, shimmer, 
quiver, shake, rattle, and roll, outflowing in recommendation of what you represent? In living, do you truly recommend what you dutifully represent? You are a banker. Good. As such, you represent savings, thrift, delayed gratification, the long view. You represent what others can bank on, what others can count on. As a banker, you represent solid investment. Does your own life recommend solid investment? Do you save? Do you waste not, want not? Do you prepare in visible ways for a rainy day? Does your life shine with the soundness, reliability, trustworthy confidence which others credit and which others bank on and which others can count on? You are a banker. Good. But are you a banker I can count on? Does your life really truly recommend what your living represents? You are a teacher. Good, good. As such, you represent curiosity, inquiry, learning, discipline, the converted and convertible life, as Emerson might have put it. You represent what can be taught and learned. As a teacher, you represent the value of learning. Do you learn, I mean? Do you learn something new every day and thrilled to do so? Do you seek out new vistas, another language, another land, another literature, another logarithm? Do you like to learn? If not, what are you doing teaching? Does your conversation simmer in new sauces of tasty, salty apprehension? Do you know how to ask questions that travel between the scylla of banality and the charybdis of the nonsensical? You are a professor an educator, an instructor. Good. You represent learning. But do you recommend it in a life that exudes the happiness of understanding, the thrill of discovery, the contentment of mastery? Are you a decent docent? Does your life really recommend what your living represents? This is Lent. C.S. Lewis said, wake up. Sigmund Freud said, grow up. Paul of Tarsus said, show up. And we ask you today, what up? What does your life joyfully recommend to others? You are an American. Looking at you, would and do others long to be one too? You are an athlete. Watching, do others desire to be one too? You are an academic. Living next door to you, do others decide to go after a PhD? You are a political activist. Does your dentist see and do likewise? You are an atheist. Knowing that, do others smile and drop belief? You are a minister. Good. As such, you represent good news. Good. Good news. You represent the gospel of freedom, grace, and love. You are a part of the representative ministry. Congratulations. You represent the unity and continuity of the church through the ages, as Wesley said. You represent love divine, all loves excelling, as his brother wrote. I couldn't be happier for you and for all you represent. Just one small Calvinistic Lenten question. Does your life at all recommend what you ostensibly represent, what your ordination represents? In your living day by day, as you walk the streets where others live too, as you pass by, is there a hint of freedom in your gait? Is there a scent of fragrance of grace in your cadence? Is there a glimpse of love in your stride? Is freedom, freedom something just to talk about on Sunday, or is it something you live out on Thursday? So too with grace and love. You preach liberty, laughter, and love? Good. Do you ever take a vacation? Do you keep your friendships in good repair? Do you give with a happy generosity, a carefree, not careless abandon? Ministry is ministry with people. Do you spend any time with people? 
Ministry is with hurting people. Do you spend any time with hurting people? Or is it just another day in front of the computer screen? Does your life recommend what your living represents? How will others hear the gospel of freedom, grace, and love if they never see ministers of the gospel who exemplify freedom, grace, and love? You are a Christian. I am glad. But can others bear witness that you would give them the shirt off your back, go with them a second full mile, offer coat and cloak as well, and love those who make it frightfully hard to love them? Does your life recommend or merely represent Jesus Christ and him crucified? Do you set out in the morning to love, to live as a love letter, to live out the knowledge and love of God with mercifully spirited existential letters day by day, sent in multiple copies and laden with grace, prayer, and presence? Dear one, Is the print legible in the letter of recommendation which is your life? Can people read it, read you, read and reading there, read gospel, good news? At least we may take the intensity and zeal of Walt Whitman going forward. Whitman's own voice this morning is carried on that of Marsh associate Robert Lucchese. I celebrate myself. This is what you shall do. Love the earth and the sun and the animals. Despise riches. Give alms to everyone who asks. Read these leaves in the open air, in every season of every year in your life, Dismiss whatever insults your own soul and your very flesh shall be a great poem. And your very flesh shall be a great poem. Well, beloved, Sursum corda, lift up your hearts. Let us this season live what we love, behave as we believe, recommend what we reference, and be born of the Spirit. For hear the good news. Do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on your hearts to be known and read by all. At this time in our service, we join together for prayer. Please pray in the way you are most comfortable, be that standing, sitting, kneeling, or coming forward to the altar rail. After each petition of prayer ending with God of love and mercy, please respond with hear our prayer. Let us embody the space of prayer as the choir leads us and lead me, Lord. those who suffer, mourn, and weep for lives lost in our congregation, in our BU community, and in the world, 
May we find comfort and peace in your embracing spirit. God of love and mercy, hear our prayer. For all those who feel lost, wandering and homeless, May they find safety and grace in your loving servant people that we want to be. God of love and mercy, hear our prayer. For all those who find stress and despair in their leadership, in our country, in our schools, and in our churches, may they find wisdom of discernment in your voice. God of love and mercy, hear our prayer. For those imprisoned, alone, and maltreated through injustices, may you bring them hope in the light of your face and the light of your people. God of love and mercy, hear our prayer. For those who cling to joy and find gratitude in the everyday sunshine, may you encourage them to share the peace and love of your works. God of love and mercy, Hear our prayer. Creator God, you are mother and father to us, our strength and our shield, our justice and our compassion. Let us pray as Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Good morning. morning. Welcome to Marsh Chapel. Know that wherever you are, whoever you are, wherever you're from, we're glad that you're with us today. For those seated in the pews in the nave, I invite you to find the red pads near the center aisle and add your name and contact information so that we can get to know you better and you can get to know one another better. University classes resume tomorrow, as do all regular chapel activities. In addition to the exciting goings-on highlighted in the bulletin, Marsh Chapel is fielding an intramural broomball team this year. With games at 10 and 11 p.m. on Tuesday nights at Walter Brown Arena, current students, faculty, and staff are eligible to play. If you'd like to join us for an adventure on the ice, you can see me after worship or send an email to chapel at bu.edu. For those who would wish to cheer us on, future games will also be publicized in the bulletin and you may be able to see one of several members of the staff join us on the ice. Special thanks to Kristen Redford for leading the children's ministry program this morning. And finally, all are welcome to an hour of fellowship this week, either during coffee hour after worship today on the lower level of the chapel, or again at dinner at 6 p.m. on Monday, or at lunch at noon on Tuesday. Your gifts and ties support all of these ministries and many more, which can be found on the chapel website, bu.edu chapel, where there is also the opportunity for online giving. And now I invite you to meditate on the choir's offering of Patrick Hadley's My Song is Love Unknown as the ushers wait upon us during the offertory. 
Beloved, in the Epistle to the Hebrews it says, but do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Let us with gladness present these offerings and oblations of our life and our labor to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. show warm and bright on you, your darkest night a star shine through, your dullest morn a radiance brew, and when dusk comes, God's hand to you. The blessing of God Almighty, creator, redeemer, and sustainer be and abide with each one of us now and forever. <laughs> 